Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. Today, we look at one of the most famous actresses to ever live, Sarah Bernhardt. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Robert Gottlieb, author of the Jewish Lives biography, Sarah, The Life of Sarah Bernhardt. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. Before there were femme fatales, smoldering bombshells, and larger-than-life divas, there lived an actress who was all that and more, a woman who bewitched the world with a life of drama and daring. Her name was Sarah Bernhardt. was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. Her lines delivered with impeccable diction in what critics called a silvery voice. Here she is, reciting a poem by Victor Hugo. Bernhardt was a national treasure in her native France and beloved the world over. Arguably, she was one of the first superstars to achieve international fame on stage and screen. To this day, she's still considered one of the greatest actresses of all time. The Divine Sarah, as Bernhardt was called, came from surprisingly humble beginnings. She was born sometime around 1844, no one's quite sure of the exact date, to a Jewish courtesan in Paris. Her paternity remains a mystery. Convent educated and baptized, Bernhardt originally aspired to become a nun. Then, one of her mother's lovers changed her life forever. He suggested she try acting. Bernhardt made her name playing outsized roles doomed courtesans, ruthless queens, and society ladies of dubious morals. She also transcended her gender and age. In her 50s, she played Hamlet, and well into her 70s, she portrayed a 19-year-old courtesan. She had a steady parade of lovers and spent extravagantly on fashion. 
She bought jewels, furs, silks, and satins, and boldly wore a hat adorned with a taxidermied bat. She curated a private menagerie of live animals, too. Exotic birds, wolfhounds, a monkey, a lion cub, and an alligator named Ali Gaga, who died from too much milk and champagne. And to top it all off, sometimes Sarah Bernhardt slept in a satin-lined coffin. Wherever she went, she caused a stir. After seeing the divine Sarah perform, the Tsar bowed to her instead of the other way around. Oscar Wilde simply called her the incomparable one. But it's the quote attributed to Mark Twain that truly says it all. There are five kinds of actresses. Bad actresses, fair actresses, good actresses, great actresses, and then there's Sarah Bernhardt. Discover the fascinating life of Sarah Bernhardt, the most famous actress who ever lived, in Sarah, The Life of Sarah Bernhardt by Robert Gottlieb. Save 25%, plus get free shipping. For a limited time only, use code Sarah. That's S-A-R-A-H at checkout. Only at jewishlives.org. Hi, Robert Gottlieb, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. First question, Sarah Bernhardt became the most famous actress in the world. How did the daughter of a courtesan achieve this success? Well, they didn't quite know what to do with this strange girl who had a very particular and unique beauty, who was full of energy, but was, like all teenagers, sulky and confused and who grew up in a confusing world, the demi-mondaine world of Paris at that time. Her mother was a courtesan. Her aunt, Rosine, was an even more successful courtesan, etc. And finally, her aunt's lover and her sometimes mother's lover, the Duke de Morny, who was the illegitimate brother of the emperor of France and a person of tremendous power, suggested that she go to the theater school, for the, the school for the Comédie Française. They didn't know what else to do. She had never thought of being an actress, or so they say. And so it went. She auditioned. But although everybody said, oh, would she get in? Wouldn't she get in? It was clear that if the Duc de Morny, the second most powerful person in the empire, was pushing her, she would get in. And she did get in. So she now was an inspiring actress. And once she had set her sight on a goal, nothing could or ever did stop Sarah Bernhardt. And what made her acting revolutionary for her time? Well, her career was so long and encompassed so many different periods of acting and of playwriting that it changed. She started out being seen as a revolutionary actress. It was the beginning of the Romantic period in French culture, instead of the strict, pure, classical period, which was represented by the most famous actress in France up until that time, 
a woman named Rachel, who was the great exemplar of that style of acting. Sarah, who came in with the revolutionary, romantic, natural writing of Victor Hugo and his plays, she represented something new, so that the young people of France, the young people in Paris, the Sorbonne, etc., fell in love with her, her voice, which was very beautiful, her ability to recite poetry very beautifully, but her style, which was relaxed and far more natural than Rachel's. By the end of her career, 60 years later, she was seen as old-fashioned, and she had been replaced by an even more natural style of acting, represented by her great rival, Eleonora Duza. So it all changed over these 60 years of her dominance. And another thing about Sarah that made her noteworthy is that she could kind of play fast and loose with the truth. And I'm curious how you navigated her relationship with the truth as a biographer of Sarah Bernhardt. Well, in a way, it starts at the beginning, because when I started to write this book, I started with the year of her birth. But we don't really know the year of her birth because the records in the town hall of Paris all went up in a conflagration during the uprising called the Commune in 1871 after the Franco-Prussian War. So we do not have the documents. At different times, she said different things, not only about the year she was born, but where she was born in Paris. There are at least three locations where she might have been born. She didn't really invest herself in the truth. She likes stories and the more elaborate and romantic and exciting, the better. Nor is she the only person in history who was like that. And how about how you wrote a biography with all of this conflicting information? Well, first of all, you have to see it in the spirit in which she did it. She was not a psychotic liar. She just liked spinning stories. And why not? Well, they were her stories. So you can present a variety of responses, say, to the year in which she was born, and leave it to the reader to decide eventually which one to buy or to ignore them all, because does it really matter to us today whether she was born in 1844 or 1843? And famously, Bernhardt lived according to a motto, quand même. What did that phrase mean to her? Well, basically to her, it meant I can do anything I please. Doesn't matter. So what? I don't care, you know, but that's basically the story of her temperament. It didn't matter who was opposing her. It didn't matter that she had setbacks. It didn't matter that she was considered Jewish, which was not the easiest thing to be considered in mid-century. It didn't matter that her only child, Maurice, was illegitimate. So what? Didn't bother her. Why should it buy anything else? She did as she pleased. And when people got in her way, she got out of the way or she batted them down. She had no objection to confrontation. And she knew that eventually she would prevail. She never stopped. She was a dynamo of energy, of invention, of charm, and of her work ethic. She did everything from picking the plays to directing them to starring in them. But also, if somebody needed his or her shoes to be blackened, she would get up on the stage during rehearsal and do it herself. Nothing was beyond her ability and her energy. 
And speaking of not caring about what people thought and doing it all, she had some peculiarities in her personal life, like wearing a hat with a stuffed bat on it and sleeping in a coffin. What was behind those choices? Well, her choices were her choices. She enjoyed it. She enjoyed making a fuss. She enjoyed being the center of attention. But again, it was commem. I'll do it. I want to do it. And very often, it worked in her favor in her early years because she received more publicity than any other young actress probably had ever had. And yet her achievement at that point was not so great. So a famous picture of her sleeping in the coffin that she carried around with her everywhere was reproduced a billion times. And she became Sarah. Coffin notwithstanding, Sarah Bernhardt is not a typical Jewish lives subject. For one thing, she was baptized. Another, she lived in a convent for six years. How did she relate to her Jewishness, and did others react to her as a Jew? Well, that is, of course, a riveting question. She was forced to become a Catholic by her father, whoever he may have been. This is a a subject of a lot of confusion and interest. But he wanted her, and her mother, who was Jewish, agreed because her father, the father figure, was paying for the education to send her to Catholic schools. Also, the mother wanted her to be able to deal with French society at its highest levels. So she went to convent schools, and she was indeed baptized. However, she always felt that she was Jewish, and she loved being Jewish. So she was a baptized Catholic Jew. And that came out most strongly in the most crucial episode in late 19th century France, the Dreyfus Affair, which is about this Jewish officer, Alfred Dreyfus, who was accused of betraying the country. And she became a passionate advocate of Dreyfus. And eventually, of course, Dreyfus was discovered and affirmed to be innocent. But her Jewishness never left nor was she stigmatized in a way. Everyone just knew she was Jewish. She loved her Jewishness, but she was also a practicing Catholic and who died in the Catholic Church. You don't expect consistency from a Sarah Bernhardt. I want to return for a moment to her acting. What role was Bernhardt best known for? Well, the crucial role in French theater, is Racine's Phèdre. That is like Hamlet for male actors in English. By the way, she also played Hamlet in a very interesting and very successful version. But Phèdre was the role she had to conquer, and she did. However, the play in which she performed the most frequently, and for which she was most famous, was uh, Alexander Dumas' The Lady of the Chameleons. The play, La Damo Camellia, was based on the life of a very famous, very young courtesan named Marguerite Gautier, which I believe she played something like 4,000 times. That was her standby. If she ever was running low on money, she would simply fling herself back into The Lady of the Camellias and make yet another fortune. And when she was in her 70s, 
something dramatic happened. Her leg was amputated. What's the story behind that, and how did she adjust? She had various physical problems, including uremic poisoning, from which she almost died when she was in New York. And it affected one of her legs very badly. And she was finally in such pain that she decided it had to be amputated. Maurice, her son, was horrified and terrified and didn't want her to do it. So she said, fine, here are my choices. I can't bear this pain any longer. So I will either have it amputated or I will kill myself. You choose. So Maurice said, off with the leg. And off it came. And she couldn't use a wooden leg. That didn't work for her. And up to and through World War I, when she was cheering up the French soldiers, she was uh, being carried around in her sedan chair right up to the trenches, reciting poetry, including La Marseillaise, and acting out scenes for them. No one wanted her to do it, including the president of France. But what did she care? Call ma'am. I'm going. She went. And she kept acting, even though she couldn't stand. To the very end, her last days, she was being filmed in her own house. She would be carried downstairs. Meanwhile, thousands of people who knew she was dying were outside her house in Paris waiting until finally the moment came and her doctor went out onto the balcony and said, Sarah Bernhardt is dead. Whereupon half a million people lined the streets of Paris to see her funeral cortege go to the cemetery. And I have one final question for you that's kind of fun, which is, if you could speak to the great Sarah, what would you ask her or say to her? Well, the thing that that first comes to my mind when I consider her life, her achievement, is, wow, Thank you so much, Robert Gottlieb, for joining us to talk about Sarah, the life of Sarah Bernhardt. You're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to think about her and to talk about her and even to write about her. Not that writing is fun. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, Jewish Lives editorial director Eileen Smith, Series editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, managing director Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Wallner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Watch for forthcoming Jewish Lives titles, including Stanley Kubrick and Heinrich Heine. Learn more about our books at jewishlives.org.